You should be saving for the future. But savings accounts suck. And investing can be scary. We combine the ease of savings with the real returns of investing. We call it Save Vesting, and it's only available in our new app, Stairs. Stairs offers 4-6% returns, no fees, and you can withdraw anytime. Do your future a favor. Visit StairsApp.com today. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just 2 bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hi, thanks for tuning in to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. This is Bethany Moore, your host. I'm the Communications and Projects Manager at the National Cannabis Industry Association. On today's show, uh, I have a recurring guest here. Kayvon Kalatbari is my guest again today. Uh, a few months ago, we talked a bit about the industry's involvement in the community and giving back to causes and how to be responsible. Today, we're going to talk about being active in the community in the advocate space and public office. Uh, Kayvon, welcome to the show. We're going to have an awesome conversation today. Thanks for having me as always. Awesome. So uh, for the listeners who uh, didn't hear the previous episode, uh, would you mind recapping your your background and how long you've lived in this wonderful, thriving city of Denver? You bet. Yeah, I'm 34 years old. I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. I've, I've been in Denver now for a little over 13 years. Uh, came out here uh, with a job in the engineering field, a job that I got in Lincoln, transferred me out to work in the office here. Uh, shortly after there, um, about four years in, so almost 10 years now, I started my first entrepreneurial endeavor, uh, which was my local pizzeria, Sexy Pizza. Um, got into cannabis uh, formally in the business space with Denver Relief about a year after that. Um, got into comedy production with Sexpot Comedy, Birdie Magazine, um, uh, and a lot of a lot of different other endeavors outside of Colorado in the cannabis space since then. Um, but primarily uh, in my advocacy role alongside that in parallel with it, um, I've been focusing on a lot of drug policy reform and, and social policy reform uh, topics in that time. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. And uh, so let's uh, let's speed up now to present day. Here is October 2017. President Trump has been in office for less than a year. It's It's been a bizarro kind of world out there with politics. But they say, if you want to make change in the world, you need a seat at the table. So, Kayvon, 
you are taking a seat at the table or you're running for office, again, this is your second time running for, for, for political office. Can you tell me more about that? And what is your reason for being so active in local politics at this stage? Yeah, definitely. You know, I ran uh, for city council a couple of years ago, an at-large seat. I am uh, now running for mayor of Denver. Uh, that election uh, is set to take place in May of 2019. And, you know, it's uh, it definitely ties into a lot of my advocacy efforts uh, here over the last decade in, in Denver, um, seeing uh, just this perpetuation of uh, criminalization of drugs, of uh, homelessness of you know things like sex work, uh, these things that are truly public health issues. Um, you know, it's it's not just a problem in Denver. It's it's one that uh, that happens all over this country. Uh, but there are bigger things at play now than than just that fight. Uh, we're seeing in Denver development uh, really reign supreme as far as the decisions that we're making. Uh, it's really, uh, I would say, a, a runaway train. Uh, we're not really uh, paying much consideration to the symptoms uh, that are being created uh, as a result of this development uh, that we're definitely putting first. We're putting profits over people in the city. We have for a few years now. And it's just very, it's very uh, hurtful to watch, you know, not just for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to, to be well off enough um, through my business endeavors to not, I think, feel the crunch and the pain that a lot of people are, but uh, being very involved in, in criminal justice reform in the artist space um, with a lot of people that are, you know, going through school and, and very young in their careers, uh, they're having a lot of a uh, lot of struggle in, in surviving in Denver right now. There's sure. there's housing, uh, you know, housing in Denver, if it, uh, not just for purchase but for rent, has increased fifty percent the last couple of years while wages remain stagnant. We've yep. got some ma major infrastructure projects. Um, if it's not our light rail or our convention center or our airport, and now this I-70 project, uh, we're getting involved in these public-private partnerships that we're really selling our city away uh, in these long-term leases and to companies that have not, not been hitting the mark with their budgets. Uh, and it, there's just so many special interests right now that are driving this city. It's very hard to watch. And I couldn't uh, stand on the sidelines anymore. I, I wanted to get involved, and I, I think those a lot of people in Denver right now that, uh, if not running for office, are, are getting very active on a grassroots level or with ballot initiatives. Uh, so we're hoping that, you know, if not just through my campaign, these other efforts that are out there, bring these people together and collectively use our voices uh, to, you know, if not run and win for office, uh, affect some policy along the way. And I think we're going a long ways towards that. Yeah, sure. That's great. Yeah. I mean, there's a game I've been playing with my friends here in Denver the last couple of years, which is count the construction cranes. And uh, I think one day we counted 15 in the skyline. Um, it's a new city bird. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it is interesting. They're, they're building a lot of uh, housing, uh, luxury housing, but that doesn't really help a lot of people in the middle class or lower class um, who are looking for safe housing. So it's pushing these people out of the city to find cheaper housing, theoretically. So thank you for bringing these issues to the forefront of the conversation in local politics um, definitely affects a lot of people. Um, so do you have prior experience in any political office? I know you ran a couple of years ago, as you mentioned earlier. Um, do you have any experience in, in a seat of uh, authority and power, as it were? You know, I don't. And I actually would consider that an advantage. Uh, we have folks right now, our, our current 
our mayor, for instance, who has never done anything in this world outside of uh, running for office and being in office. Mm. And I, I think that there's a lack of perspective um, with the folks that we have now running our city. Uh, they have not operated in uh, in the in the world. Uh, they they are. Um, there are folks that were really bred uh, often by the Democratic Party here, this establishment machine that we have uh, mm -hmm. here in Denver uh, to fill these roles and to be mouthpieces for certain special interests and to to do the bidding of them. Um, but I will say that, you know, through my businesses, through my philanthropic efforts, through the the, the nine board seats I have, uh, I, I have worked with every department of government, uh, both in a, a really formal capacity and then one that's more casual and in working behind the scenes to kind of figure out some of the problems that we're dealing with in Denver, uh, working on solutions that are probably a heck of a lot more collaborative, that are uh, definitely more transparent uh, than, than what our city's able to accomplish, and at far less the cost. Uh, when I look at my business experience, uh, exceeding that of all of our city council and our mayor combined, uh, when I look at my ability to, to mobilize uh, grassroots initiatives and efforts, communities that traditionally don't get along, uh, I've got a long history of that. And I think far more than what we've seen uh, from our leadership in the city. And that, that really shines through in our, our very ineffective decision-making these days. If it's not done behind closed doors, uh, it's done in a transparent space that uh, really uh, disengages people. Um, uh, allows them uh, with this the surface level transparency to be a part of that process, uh, only to see these relationships disintegrate and and to see bad choices made. So, although I don't have that that relevant experience um, uh, of sitting in office, uh, I think that's actually a benefit uh, in this role. And 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 I see myself working collaboratively really well uh, with a lot of folks that have been position in positions of power, um, both elected and appointed within a city government, to work together to really fix some of the things that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, sure. I, I agree. And I've, I've always been curious about uh, folks who are career politicians who, uh, you know, like you said, you have an advantage in that you have perspective from owning businesses, being involved in the community and so on. Uh, but there's plenty of people in political office who literally, that is all they do. They were president of their uh, fraternity and then jumped in. Now they're in a political office in their state or a member of Congress or what have you, and they have never actually run a business. I mean, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know how you can effectively deal with people and in, in their day-to-day -day issues, uh, whether that's revolving around food security or housing or or, 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 or having really a traditional job um, and, and what we have to go through. Uh, it's, it's very short-sighted, I think, to not have that real-world experience. Uh, say in my businesses, for example, I, there's, there's very little, uh, when you look at it on the surface of somebody working in the restaurant industry, of being applicable to my consulting uh, business. But I like seeing on a resume that somebody worked uh, in a restaurant. But tables or waiting tables or being a bartender because you got to work with everybody under the sun. Uh, you do have to put in a lot of work for very little money. I like people that have uh, those types of real world experiences. And I, I think that it's truly necessary if we're going to gain back some of the power that that not just federally on, or on the state level, but here locally, uh, we seem to be to be losing uh, very quickly. And, and it's also kept people, I think, 
uh, on the private side of the fence, traditionally ill-informed about what's happening in local government. You know, we have 88% of people in, in Denver County registered voters voted in our last presidential election, only 27% in our last municipal election. And mm -hmm. that's because people have kind of this mentality that local government doesn't matter um, when, one, it matters, I think, considerably more than federal because it impacts our day-to-day -day life a heck of a lot more. And we can yeah. see change made much more quickly on a local level. So I'm hoping that this can help excite others to, to get involved as well. And I, th I think we're starting to see that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I, I agree with your point about uh, the service industry. And, and I think a lot of us have the opinion that it should almost be a requirement when you get out of high school that you have to spend three months working in a restaurant or in a kitchen. Uh, so you have to have that experience of dealing with everybody angry hungry people right <laughs> <laughs> yes people of every race religion uh, color socioeconomic status it really is the gamut and i think it feeds into to how people view the world and interact with people in a very very real way sure it can be very humbling and frustrating and and rewarding as well uh so yeah thank you uh we need to take a quick commercial break but we We'll be back after the commercials to talk with Kayvon Moore about public office and what it's like to be part of the Sausage Factory. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on Cannabis Radio for NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Introducing 420 Cloud, ignited by MSIG, one of the fastest growing social apps around. The only app you'll need for all things cannabis. Find the latest cannabis news, videos, and stories, ranging from business and tech to sports and medicine. Start your career in cannabis by seeking, identifying, and applying for jobs through our expansive listings. For businesses, 420cloud.com features a full-scale cross-channel network, monetizing high traffic for big data conversion and analytics. Download 420 Cloud now from the iTunes Store or Google Play. MSIG.com is a publicly listed company on the OTC, symbol MCIG. Cannabis concentrates have been around for hundreds of centuries. In 19th century America, extracts mixed with other herbs were sold as a miracle cure. Now, Apex Supercritical has elevated the science of extraction into the 21st century. Apex Supercritical is the leader in CO2 extraction, which is the cleanest, safest, and purest way to extract plant oils. ROI in as little as three weeks. Our cost-effective systems are fully automated with an industry-leading three-year warranty. And if we don't have your system in stock, we can build one in as little as four weeks. Bringing CO2 extraction to the masses. Learn more at apeksupercritical.com. Four-week build excludes high production systems. The 2017 Southwest Cannabis Conference and Expo makes its way back to Phoenix, October 13th and 14th. Check out hundreds of vendors showcasing their businesses and the new advances being made in medical and legal cannabis markets. Plus, catch keynote presentations from former Mexican President Vicente Fox, award-winning writer Bruce Barcott, and the Martha Stewart of Marijuana, Cheryl Schumann. The 2017 Southwest Cannabis Conference and Expo, Phoenix. SWCCExpo.com slash Phoenix 2017. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. Okay, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. This is your host, Bethany Moore, and I'm talking with Kayvon Kalikbari, who's very involved in the cannabis industry, the community, and today we're talking about his current run for a local 
political office. Uh, Kayvon, thanks again for being on the show. Let's let's talk about that first run for office that you made a couple years back for Denver City Council. What what does that role actually entail? What does the Denver City Council person do, and what did you want to do in that role? Yeah, you, so in Denver, we have a strong mayor system, uh, which means that if uh, alongside it is the city council, that if you'd like to outdo a mayor's uh, veto, that you have to have a supermajority or nine of the 13 council members that we have um, vote uh, in favor of this uh, uh, this vetoless bill uh, or ordinance, okay. whatever they're trying to pass. So we have, again, 13 council members, two are at large, which means they cover the whole city, and then 11 are for various districts uh, that break Denver up geographically and are pretty well equally represented. Um, what I was hoping to do in that role, I think, was really just to, to start the discussion about some of the things that now are, we're really in crisis mode in Denver about. Um, we were talking about housing back then. We were talking about homelessness and drug policy and, and the jail abuse that we're dealing with by not having an elected sheriff. And I think all of these discussions have matured uh, since I ran. Um, but I, I really wanted to peek behind the curtain more than anything. You know, I ran a very short campaign. It was uh, really underfunded. It was primarily funded by myself. Um, I certainly did some things that were a little bit more outrageous and I think people wanted to see, but I wanted to test those waters. And I, I wanted to know uh, where my allies were, uh, where my enemies were, uh, and, and just, just, just to see that process out a little bit. So uh, not only did I learn a lot from the process itself, uh, I really uh, maintained the relationships uh, that I gained primarily around some of the issues that we're dealing with in Denver um, in the last two years since then. And they've only grown stronger. They've got me involved in homelessness more. They've got me involved in food security and, and some of the public transportation transportation uh, issues, this boondoggle of I-70 expansion that we're dealing with. Um, but ultimately, if I was to win, and I don't know that that was the goal last time, I, I wanted to be a voice on that council and and be representative of the people that I don't feel um, are being represented in the city. Uh, now that's been able to mature uh, into this mayor seat um, and, and hoping to, to really excel that and run a more, I think, professional, uh, real uh, campaign. Um, give it the service that I think it really deserves, not just the campaign, but the office itself. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And and I really find it interesting that you didn't go into that expecting to win. You you knew, or at least you hoped, you could affect change by just being a part of that process, by inserting yourself into the conversations. Uh, did and, and it sounds like you're, you're feeling like it was worth it. It was worth it for you to do that. Yeah, experience in, in real life. You know, I could talk all day to people that have ran for office. I can talk to uh, people all day that have won office seats, but uh, their words are only going to mean so much to me. I learned through experience. That's uh, why I've had the success that I've had, I think, in anything that I've done. Um, it's by being okay to fail. Um, it's a, it's about being okay to, uh, you know, to make mistakes and, and to understand that you don't know everything, to step into something with a, with an open mind and, and to see what you can accomplish by working with other people. Uh, that's that's really what I what I got out of that. And I think it, it it showed me really the will that people have in Denver uh, here to to be a part of something bigger. Uh, they just really need someone to help mobilize uh, mobilize them and and to to garner this unison voice that can really be um, loud enough to get to get things done. Yeah, I agree. So um, if, if we could just spend a quick minute, uh, could you give an update on the the issues of homelessness in Denver and sort of the life cycle 
of how you, you, you've mentioned that you have gotten even more involved in those issues and projects relating to that issue over the last couple of years. Can you sort of share an update on that life cycle there of uh, affecting change for the homeless in Denver? Yeah, so I got involved really uh, intimately with a group called Alternative Solutions Advocacy Projects about 18 months ago here in Denver. And and it's a coalition of faith-based organizations, businesses, nonprofits, uh, homeless service organizations, uh, general members of the community, and uh you know, actual people experiencing homelessness uh, mm. <laughs> uh, makes a lot of sense to to include their voice. And um, we we started uh, to to gather these people to try and put pressure on the city to repeal the urban camping ban, which uh, essentially disallows folks from. Uh, you know, not not even pitching a tent, but uh, laying on a, a mat on the ground, or or mm-hmm. let, putting a pillow under their head, or putting a blanket over their body. Um, this really, I think, uh, had its uh, its its loudest uh, moment when uh, I filmed a video last November of police confiscating uh, blankets from a homeless veteran um, out in front of the mayor's office. Uh, that was done in, in somewhat of a protest. Uh, but got those blankets uh, confiscated as evidence of, uh, of of that urban camping ban infraction. Um, people were outraged. There were articles in the New York Times and the Washington Street uh, Wall Street Journal and mm-hmm. and Huffington Post and all these places put pressure on the city to, to change their policy to say, okay, we're not going to confiscate them anymore. We're just going to take pictures of them, but we're still going to issue these people citations. We're still mm-hmm. criminalizing homelessness. So knowing that our, our housing is out of control in the city, you know, if, if it's not just the housing in general rising in cost dramatically, it's our, our extreme lack of affordable or what we like to call now attainable housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what we define as affordable is not affordable for a lot of people. Uh, that that word is very overused. It should be attainable um, all the way down to for people that don't have any incomes. So we uh, put pressure enough again on the city, kept that coalition building, brought more businesses into the fold, and got temporary approval, a six-month permit for a beloved community village, which is uh, Denver's first tiny home village. Uh, now, I just found out today that unfortunately the city is not, co- not going to extend uh, that six-month permit, and these mm-hmm. folks, theoretically, if we don't find another site for them and get approval from the city for them uh, will be thrown out on the streets in the middle of winter again. Um, so we're in mm. parallel uh, trying to find a second site for that that we can get up and running in time. It's for 11 tiny homes that house 11 or 15 people uh, with a common yurt space for kitchen, sanitation, eating, living, things of that nature. And then we have uh, two more villages that we're looking at standing up as well. But at the same time, trying to work with Denver zoning, uh, to get not just something like tiny house villages built permanently into the code so they can live long term. Um, looking at other creative housing solutions that maybe don't uh, fit a lot of people's standards of having a, a one bedroom luxury apartment, uh, but would certainly suffice uh, to fill that gap in between living on the street and that $1,500 one bedroom. So we're looking at creative uh, uh, live workspaces for DIY artists. And, and entrepreneurs and things like that, and also more humane kind of shelter systems that actually have privacy included, that have a door that you can lock, that have storage facilities um, for these people when they're at work um, so they don't get their stuff stolen or confiscated by the police. Uh, and then finally, we're working on some storage solutions. My uh, business, uh, Sexy Pizza, installed lockers in front of it the other day. Um, I read that. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, I saw an article about that. Congrats. That's awesome. Yeah, storage is such an issue for homeless. Uh, uh, But since that article came out, uh, we've had two other businesses that want to install lockers uh, as well, um, because that is such a huge need for for the homeless population. And uh, we're hoping that that program expands um, because it's a severe deficiency uh, that we have in, in, in allowing these people. To, to get back on their feet. But I also got a complaint yesterday and then Verizonian came out to say that these might not be illegal. So we may have another fight on our hands with regard to those. Gotcha. Well, I, I, I think a lot of people appreciate people like you who push the boundaries to see what can be done for those less fortunate. Um, so keep being creative and Uh, Thank you again for your initiative. So um, we are going to take one more commercial break here, but then when we come back, let's let's talk about uh, your your run for mayor, the exciting news of the present. Um, So stay tuned to uh, NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. We will be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Introducing Blue Moon CBD, straight from the bluegrass of Kentucky. With our special nano emulsion process, you'll not only get the best CBD available, you'll get more of it. Not all CBD is the same. It's your body. It's your choice. Get relief from inflammation, anxiety, and stress. Go to www.bluemoonhemp.com and use code HEMP420 for a 20% discount on your order. Balance your body. Balance your life. Make it Blue Moon CBD. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Running a successful cannabis business isn't easy. Successful businesses need to have strong people to achieve long-term results. At Live Advisors, we believe people are the heart of business, and training people can help you infinitely grow your business. Learn more about our offerings at liveadvisors.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice in the last few minutes here talking with Kayvon Kalitbari about all things politics here in Denver, Colorado. Um, Kayvon, so you're running for mayor here in Denver. What are the roles and responsibilities of mayor? And if you were to be elected, what are your intentions? Yeah, you know, uh, similar to what I mentioned earlier, it's a strong mayor city. So uh, there's a lot of influence that this position has over the city. Um, helps uh, draft the budget uh, for approval by city council. Um, and, and I think more importantly than th- and kind of the money and 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 uh, continuing on some of the projects that we're working out the city. We're, I want to set the tone, um, and that's something that our current mayor Michael Hancock uh, has not done. Uh, I think in in any sort of progressive way. 
Um, we, we're not, we're, we're setting, we're setting this, uh, this, this tone that we're a world-class city, but we're not uh, acting on it. We're not actually doing the things on the ground uh, to take care of the people that make the city what it is uh, to actually become a world-class city. Um, I want to, I want to be a mayor that's actually out in the field uh, that, that is engaging uh, of, of Denver's residents uh, that, that is actually getting a very intimate knowledge in Denver's issues and, and what people are doing um, to try and fix them. I think that, community in general in this city uh, feels very left out of the conversation of Denver's growth. Mm. Uh, so I think beyond using, I think my skill sets and, and bringing on obviously some very talented and smart people around me to, to help craft a vision, uh, uh, you know, something that has some foresight um, for the city and not be as reactive as we've been is going to be very important. But like I said, I think just carrying this tone of collaboration um, and bringing really everybody to the table able a stakeholder that has a say or should have a say in these decisions that are going to ultimately affect them um, to allow their voices to be heard because I think that's ultimately how we're going to how we're going to craft and implement the best uh, decisions uh, for Denver as a whole uh, is with everybody's voice um, in that pot. Yeah, for sure. So let's say you are elected mayor and uh, anyone that's seen your email signature knows that you have like all 8,000 of your projects projects listed below. What what happens to everything else you're working on? What will your schedule look like? Do you need a clone? <laughs> you know, if I could do that, that'd be great. Um, right? but I know there's also some people that don't think cloning is appropriate, so I don't know where that sits on the... <laughs> On the the electability uh, scale, um, you know, but I will say I'm, I, I understand that. I know that this is something that's going to come up uh, during this process to say how how are you going to have time for this? So I'm actually trying to get very much ahead of that conversation. And towards the end of this year or early 2018, I hope to uh, pretty much remove myself. Uh, from day-to-day -day involvement in all of my businesses. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to maintain my board seats um, because I think that a lot of them tie very well into the issues that will be on my platform uh, that I'm going to be championing for. Sure. Um, but I do understand uh, the gravity and the weight of this position and this task, uh, this task ahead of me, and I'm not taking it lightly. Uh, so I'm, I'm giving up <laughs> what, I, what I would consider a, a tremendous window of opportunity in the cannabis industry over the next six years if I, you know, not just during this two years of campaigning, but uh, four years uh, if I do get elected and, and potentially even more to set all that aside and, and really put the city of Denver first and, 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 and set it up as, as my sole responsibility. Um, I hope that people understand, you know, uh, what that what that means to me, someone who's who's created my own opportunities and entrepreneurship and philanthropy, um, to say that I'm going to set that aside and pursue this full time, uh, well before I even uh, have the chance to be elected. Uh, that's how much this means to me and how serious I'm taking it. Yeah. So opposite approach of President Trump. Got it. Um, <laughs> so I mean, so honestly though, would you encourage others who are in the cannabis industry? to seek out political offices to fill. I mean, we we need that seat at the table. We need to communicate. Are, are there people in the cannabis industry that would be good candidates to fill these seats and, and why? 
Yeah, Bethany, I think that's a, a really good question. And I, I believe that folks in the cannabis industry should definitely uh, look into running for office or if not that, as I mentioned earlier, being very proactive in engaging with the city uh, in, a, in a meaningful manner uh, from the private space or, or assisting in, in running ballot initiatives. Uh, there is a great article um, that came out recently. I think it was I forget, one of the industry publications, and it mentioned uh, five folks that do have ties to the cannabis industry that are planning on running for office over the next two years. Mm-hmm. And it had, a, it had a really good mention, a really good sentence in it where it spoke about uh, how much we've gone through in the cannabis industry, if you're an operator, to deal with bureaucratic hurdles, the bureaucratic mess uh, of, of, uh, of what it takes to, to to deal in this industry and in, in something that's brand new, that's unknown, um, to go through those motions and to do it from a very grassroots level like I have and a lot of others have, um, those, those are tremendous experiences that traditional business operators don't get to see. And I think that uh, that's a very real experience to take into this and a very relevant one uh, that I hope people will consider. I don't think folks realize um, outside of the cannabis industry what we actually deal with on a day-to-day basis and, and, and all the barriers that are put up in front of us that we have to find creative ways to work with. And I think that's very applicable uh, to running for office and, and being in that seat. Yeah, absolutely. If you're in the cannabis industry, you also have to become a political expert or close to it and an activist as well. Um, So we have run out of time. Thank you so much for talking with me today about this really exciting endeavor. And let's let's see what we can do together as an industry, even if not running for an actual seat in your community, just getting involved, having your voice heard and interacting with those folks. Uh, So thank you, Kayvon. I appreciate you uh, being on the show today. Thank you for the time as always, Bethany. All right. Thanks for tuning in to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When we keep Idaho students in classrooms, they have better physical and mental health. Help keep the student you love in school by getting them vaccinated if they're eligible. Make sure they wear a mask, frequently wash their hands, and stay home and get tested when sick. Our teachers and other school staff can also do their part by choosing to vaccinate, wearing a mask, and supporting other preventive measures. For more information on preventive measures, please visit coronavirus.idaho.gov or contact your child's school.